0: For me to live is Christ For me to die is gain Every moment in between There'll be joy and there'll be pain I can't worry about the future Or change a thing about my past I've got this moment to believe And I'm gonna make it last I am fit This is Pastor Michael Rogers from the JAR at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. As we were getting ready, you know, we've been walking through Genesis, and and, and the reason we're doing so is we're trying to do it in a way that helps us to think about what what, what it meant for Jesus to be steeped in the old testament scriptures as he was growing up knowing that he was going to be the messiah and he was going to uh, take on this mantle Um, and so as we're looking at these passages we're not just we are looking at the history and trying to draw from the history but we're also trying to connect with what jesus got from it and so so we've made it all the way up to genesis chapter 11 that's where we're eventually going to be today but um, what it made me think about was that like i prayed earlier i I struggle sometimes believing that I have any value in the kingdom. Like, I know that I am valuable because He died for me. I know I'm valuable because He rose for me. I know I'm valuable because He put the Holy Spirit in me. Uh, But I struggle sometimes, like, God, I didn't give you very good clay to mold and make me into something that could actually be effective for your kingdom. If I feel that way, and I've been called to be a pastor, I wonder if there's any others that feel that way too, like understanding what it means to answer God's call and to see what he is uh, asking us to do is difficult because, well, for me, I'm scared that I'm going to get it wrong. I'm scared that I'm going to think I hear him, but really it's my own voice and I'm just doing what I want to do. Or uh, I am um, not going to take the risks that he wants me to take because I'm afraid that uh, my faith will fail or that my skills aren't good enough or that my upbringing uh, didn't teach me enough or I don't have enough education or I don't know enough scripture there's so many different things that can get in the way of me um, being effective for God that I wonder what is it what does it look like for me to be effective for him at all um, and if you feel the same way then join the club join the club and, Every week we start with a tension, something that we're trying to solve, something that we all have a sense of, that we all feel in some form or fashion. And it may be that you're feeling some of that, that you are wondering how God can use you. You're wondering what you can contribute to the kingdom. And since we make a big deal about uh, asking people to be disciple-makers here, uh, to be a disciple sounds like a fun thing. I get to learn more about God and try to be like Him. But to be a disciple-maker means that all of a sudden I have this responsibility to see who I can be an influence for. I'm being filled by God, who has God asked me to empty myself for? As we're doing that, I'm just many of us doubt our worth to God's kingdom. We, we just struggle with the fact that he has a plan A, and the plan A is those people who are already part of the church will reach those people who are not yet part of the church. And that's you and me. That's not just preachers up on the uh, pulpit. That's not the special preachers who have thousands of people in their church. That's every single one of us who believe in Jesus. And so we want you to just consider. We always also do a a consider question. It's a chance for you to just kind of connect with God and get your heart prepared for what we're teaching today. And our consider question today is, what will it take for you, not anyone else, for you to step into God's calling? And we'll give you about 10 seconds to think about.
1: All right, so we are going to be in Genesis chapter 11 today, Um, and we're actually going to skip to the bottom of 11, and we're going to start in verse 27, but before we get to that, just a brief overview. So last week we talked about Noah, right, in chapter 9, and we ended at verse 17, um, where God sent the rainbow for Noah. And then when you start in verse 18, it starts to talk about Noah's sons, Sham and Ham, and, and Japheth. And yeah. so then beginning at the top of 10, we see this is the account of the families of Sham, Ham, and Japheth. And it says in 10 verse 1, many children were born to them <laughs> after the great flood. And from verse 2 going down is basically a genealogy of Ham, Japheth, and um, Shem. Of, and Shem and Noah mm-hmm. so you know a lot of people say why do we have to have all these <coughs> genealogies what you know throughout scripture you'll have a whole chapter of nothing but names this son came from this son came from this son etc cetera, etc cetera. and the truth be told sometimes there's a, a little kernel of a story that adds to the story that you're going to talk about and in this case that's true mm-hmm. um, but it, it's really important sometimes to see that link le- that genealogy to see how the person that's the main character of the story we're getting ready to talk about, how that impacted them.
0: That's right, and there's a a story about the Tower of Babel right in the middle of all of this. And the concept (laughs) of the Tower of Babel is basically that people had gotten to where they were worshiping themselves rather than God. They thought they could be God themselves. And so it's just a way of showing that even after the flood, even after Noah, who was righteous, raised his three sons to try to help them to be righteous, we still found ourselves falling off the wagon, so to speak. We're struggling with, um, with sin, and we're, we are still trying to do it by ourselves instead of doing it with God. So when we get to this part, um, we're not back to where we were before the flood, but we are back to where God had to confuse languages to keep us from doing something that would have been harmful to us. Um, because we would never be able to attain God, Godness, deity. The more we strive for it, the further we would get away from God, the worse it would be for us. So he confused our languages and scattered us so that we couldn't do that anymore. And then we get to this story.
1: Correct. So then starting in chapter 11, verse 10, you're, above that there may be something that says from Shem to Abram mm-hmm. there at the top. So from 10 all the way to 26, once again, it's talking about the line of Shem, which leads us to Abram, okay? And then Terah, who is Abram's father, okay? So beginning in verse 27, this is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur, Of the Chaldeans the land of his birth while his father Terah was still living meanwhile Abram and Nahor both married the name of Abram's wife was Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife was Melchah Melchah and her sister Iska. Iska were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran but Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children now I want to stop real quick and talk about verse 30 when it says that Sarai, who we know later on is going to become Sarah, okay, and we're gonna we'll talk about her more at another another time. But when I got to this part where it said Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children, it, I just think it's so great how God is setting up the story here, because if we find out later that Sarah ends up having a son and that God blesses her, changes her name from Sarai to Sarah, Abram to Abraham, and he does give them a child in her old age. And it immediately when I think of Sarah, I think of a miracle in the making, right? So we're going to focus a lot on Abram today, mm-hmm. but Sarah or Sarai was just as much a hero in this story as Abram was, and when I think about her, and I think about the fact that um, Whatever we're going through today, no matter what that is, no matter how desolate or hard it might be, God is preparing you to work a great miracle. Mm-hmm. He can work a great miracle through you That's
0: right.
1: by doing your calling and by doing what He's asking you to do. And I'm just kind of saying that to set us up as we go further into the story. I, I just thought that was really neat, and I wanted to point that out. And
0: we are after this series called Father, we're doing a series called Mother, and we'll talk about Sarai who becomes Sarah and Hagar
1: Very and how they,
0: how they impacted the story. Right. <laughs> Just take a look at this, like she said, and you can sometimes see mm-hmm. things in the account as he's talking about the gene- genealogy that really helps us with the story. So you look at Terah. Abram, we're going to find out, is a man of faith. But that faith had to start somewhere. And it's my belief that that probably started with Terah, the father. Mm. Terah is in Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur is the big city in the south end of what is, what is later gonna be known as Babylonia. So these are the, the, the ancestors of the Babylonians, which is gonna cause trouble. God talks about Babylon in Revelation. This is gonna be trouble for them for a long time. But Terah is coming out of there and he's going to the land of Canaan, which is gonna be the promised land. He, is, he has been sent to the land of Canaan. Before he gets started, he has three sons, and whenever the scripture shows three sons, you get them in birth order. So Abram was the oldest, Nahor was the second, and Haran was the baby, and Haran dies. We don't know everything, but what we do know is that Terah comes to this place that we now know as Haran Terah was probably wealthy. In order to make this travel, he probably was a wealthy man. Did he stop and create a city named Haran out of reverence for the son who passed away? Or did he travel up to a place and find out its name was Haran and stop there because of his son who died? We don't know for sure what happened, but this we can say. Terah's circumstances stopped him short. And it may be that God was sending him to Canaan, and because he let his grief keep him from taking that next step, his son is the one who ends up going forward. Also, take a look at how it affects everyone else. Nahor um, is the middle son. He does not go with them, he doesn't make it even to Haran. He marries the daughter of Haran. And so he's trying to carry on Haran's line but Haran had a son named Lot, and Abram is going to take Lot with him, and Lot is going to get in all kinds of trouble. Mm -hmm. So you have this young man who grew up with a father who died early, and he is constantly getting into into a mess, and Abram is constantly having to save him. And later in the story, when we're looking at that, we're going to say, why, Abram? Just let Lot go. Like, just, he's making all these mistakes. Just let him, but... My guess is Abram promised Terah that he would take care of Haran's son. Mm-hmm. And everything Lot does that's his nephew. can't negate the fact that that's his nephew and the only son of the brother who died. We can sometimes do the same. Let our tragedies inside our families, we first of all don't realize that a tragedy for one person affects everyone. It's kind of like somebody dropped a can of paint in the room and the paint splattered, who did the paint get on? And you know, if there was somebody right there at the paint, it probably got on them. But it, if it splattered enough, it got all across the room. Who else was affected? And in this story, everyone in the story was affected by Haran's death. And everyone was making decisions out of grief and out of that tragedy. Man, don't we do that today. Don't we find ourselves in a family tragedy and we suddenly take a look at one person who's struggling and how that one person who's struggling inside the family is affecting everyone else. And we're trying to figure out how can we make this not be the case anymore. And if we aren't careful, the circumstances that come from that can short circuit our walk with God. And we can get to the place where we, we aren't putting our faith in Him, we're putting our grief or, or pain or our tragedy or our attention on, something that can't be changed. It's over and done, Mm -hmm. and we can't get past it. So we see uh, Terah's circumstances stop him from being everything God called him to be.
1: Right, and let's take a look at that in 31. One day, Terah took his son, Abram, his daughter-in-law, Sarai, and his grandson, Lot, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. And like Michael said, we're not sure if they named it Haran after his son, or if they actually found a town named Haran, but they stopped there. They didn't go all the way to Canaan. Okay? Right. And Canaan is going to become what we now know is the land of Israel. Yes. A land that is the promised land for the Israelites. So God is preparing, He's He's got His wills in place for Israel to become its own nation, its own chosen people. And he his idea is, I'm going to take Abram out of the line of Shem and I'm going to make this chosen people, this land. And so he's got this plan and, and my daddy used to say, if it's God's will today, it's God's will tomorrow, right? So here we see it could have very well been that God had planned for, for Terah to be the one that was going to, to be the father of many nations. But because of the loss of Haran and the grief that he was feeling and or maybe just complacency. They got to that place and they like what they saw. And he justified it by saying, you know what, this is good enough. I'm not going to go any further from here. But we're going to see that God's will is still going to happen, right? Right. Because even though they landed in Haran and they stayed there, God's getting ready to call Abram to, to send him to Canaan where he originally probably Uh, had planned.
0: I think one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament is um, 1132. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Iran. He never let it become everything it could be because he was stuck in that circumstance.
1: Right. So you have this father who wants to get his family out of the city that's full of sin. That city uh, worshipped the moon. We know it was a central location for worshiping the moon. So we know that Ur was not necessarily a city that was following God right. at that point. Um, and so he he takes his family. He finds a place call, called Haran, but unfortunately he dies there. And, um, you know, a lot of people are living their lives short of being what God wants them to be. They have heard the message. They have left their land of Ur to go where God's calling them to go, but for some reason they've never gotten all the way there into Canaan to receive their full spiritual victory and their spiritual plenty. And that's what God is wanting us to do. That's what he wants for all of us.
0: That spiritual Um, victory.
1: That spiritual victory and that spiritual plenty. So let's get into the good part where it talks about Abram and we're going to see God's will. So let's start in chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that i will show you i will make you into a great nation i will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others i will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt and all and we always have the saying here at the jar when when we see the word all all means all 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 the families on earth will be blessed through you now one thing i want to notice you notice i really emphasize the word i right so god from the very beginning is saying this is me Mm -hmm. okay i'm telling you the story of Abraham, and i'm going to show you how i can take an ordinary person and do extraordinary things but remember it's still me right (laughs) i'm the author of this story i'm the one that's in charge here and i'm the one who's deciding Everything that happens from this point forward is coming from me because it is is my my will, okay? So then let's go to verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with them. Now, like Michael was talking about, I'm almost wondering if God was warning Abram, don't take Lot with you, right? He knew that Lot was going to cause trouble later on.
0: Right. If you notice, it says earlier, he says, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. Leave them all. And Abram goes, okay, I'm going to leave them all. I'm going to go into this country. And I'm going to take Lot with me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, to me, that's a blessing because if, even after that, God still gives the same promise to Abram he would have given if, if Abram didn't take Lot which tells us that we don't need to have all the answers we just need to say yes to the thing we can say yes to we may still make mistakes along the way but what we're going to find is god's going to redeem those mistakes and help us through it Uh, and there's going to be good stories that come out of sometimes
1: i wonder if god's eyeballs are like permanently rolled up into his head Uh. you know because he he tells us to do things yes and then
0: and we're like, yes, we're going to do exactly yes. what you said, and then, except for this one little thing we're, we're not going to do. Except this
1: one little thing, do. and I'm going to take a lot. And sure, And that <laughs> moment in the story, God was like,
0: Oh, do you realize the trouble okay. <laughs> that's going to cause you? It, it, I'm still going to affect my will, but it's going to cause you so much trouble.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. But once again, like I said before, though, we're, and throughout the Old Testament as we read these stories this year, we're going to find out that God uses... Ordinary people who make mistakes all the time (coughs) do extraordinary things. That's right. So let's look at verse, um, well, the end of verse 4. So Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem, There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At the time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord. So last week we talked about Noah and the things that set Noah apart in his journey. We're kind of doing the same thing Here with Abram at the beginning of his story and there's several things that we can learn from him when it comes to God calling or asking us to do something that we're not sure about yes right so the first thing that we learn from Abram is that he listens to God so it's not clear how Abram received his call at the beginning of chapter 12 Whether God spoke clearly to him one day or whether he had this growing sense that that this is what God wanted him to do. But what was clear is that Abram had cultivated the habit of listening for God's voice and obeying it. You know, Jesus says, the sheep hear my voice and they know my voice. In this instance, Abram is hearing the voice of God. He's listening and discerning what God is asking him to do. But here's the thing. Listening and discerning what God is calling us to do can be challenging, right? Yeah. The reason many of us feel God doesn't speak to us is because we have not developed the habit of listening to him. That's right. When I am wanting to hear the voice of God, I, I want God to speak clearly and powerfully. Carry Listen to me, (laughs) right?
0: Like write it across the sky, or like like a Daniel, write it on the wall, or something. Or we just know that we know exactly what he says, so
1: that I'm not left in any doubt that it's God that I'm hearing.
0: That's right.
1: But here's the thing: God rarely shouts at us. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Instead, he whispers softly. Here's the thing about whispering: if I take Sherry and I put her on by the door and I stand at the edge of the platform, and I go, Sherry, is Sherry gonna hear me? Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -mm. Probably not.
1: Probably not, if I whisper. (laughs) Well, I am in whisper, I'm talking about listening, not watching, (laughs) so if I say, Sherry, she's gonna have a hard time hearing me, but if I'm right next to her, in a more intimate space with her, and close to her, and I say, she can hear me, right? A lot of times that's how the Holy Spirit works in it with us. Mm -hmm. He wants to be intimate with us. He wants to be close to us. He doesn't want to have to shout at us to get our attention. Now, God will will. do it. Yes, And He will if we need it. And a lot of times that happens when we're sick or we're going through really hard times or we're really depressed or we're having anxiety or we're... Or we're grieving, like Tara was grieving. And we get so wrapped up in self that God has to shout to us. I always say all the time, you guys have heard me say it, God always throws me in the deep end of the pool. But he always stands at the side of the pool saying, baby girl, I got you, swim to the other end, and I'll meet (laughs) you there. Right? Right? But he's still on the side of the pool. He's not all the way on the other side of the water park. Okay? Okay. So he's staying close to me, and he's, most of the time, it's going to be, whether it's a, a feeling, whether it's a picture, whether it's a vo- actual audio voice in your head, God usually whispers to us. And here's the thing, God talks to all of us differently, yeah. and that has to do with personality, right? Like I said, for me, he has to kind of get my attention and throw me into the deep end of the pool and say, you can do it, because he knows that that's gonna push me and give me the courage to do what I need to do. For some people, he doesn't have to do that, right? For some people, he, he may, he's gonna talk to Sherry in a different way than he's gonna talk to me. Right. You know, um, and the reason I use Sherry is because Sherry and I are two different people. Sherry's very introverted. I'm introverted to a fault, but I also can be very extroverted if I need to be, right? And so God's gonna talk to me one way, and he may talk to you another way and there's no wrong way for him to do right. that and
0: so what we, we what we mean by that is not that like he's mean to carry and nice to sherry <laughs> what we mean is that he's going to use a way that speaks into your soul so it may be that it's images it may be that it's words it may be that it's from your study you're reading scripture and you suddenly stumble across something go, oh that's what i need to do um, i think of keith i think the way god speaks to keith is he goes and finds many counselors, mm-hmm. and if God is saying the same thing through all of the counselors, he knows what to do next. Right. Um, and uh, and for Carrie, I know it's music sometimes.
1: Yeah, for me it's music. A lot of times God will talk to me through music. That's usually when I hear His voice the most. Um, is when I take time, and even if it's music without words, He just tends to speak to me that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why work music. Worship, worship through music, I should say, is yes. a great way to put it. Yes. Worship through music is usually how he speaks to me, but not always. He's starting to speak to me more and more as we're teaching now, yes. which he's, he's slowly showing me how he speaks to me in that way. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the whole point of that is, regardless mm-hmm. of how he talks to you, God is always going to speak loud enough for a listening ear to hear. Mm-hmm. So we need to know his voice. We need to be willing to listen to him, and that's the very first step in order to do what he's asking you to do. And
0: the truth is that we very rarely in um, in the way that we construct our gatherings give ourselves an opportunity to learn how to listen for God's voice. That's why we do a prayer of expectation every week is because we want that to be your time to practice listening for the voice of God. And that's why it's okay for us to say, God, here's what I need from you in the service. Mm -hmm. But we also want you to ask him what he is expecting from us, because that causes you to pause and listen for him to speak in that moment. And it, it may be that you think, well, I don't know if I'm valuable enough for God to speak directly to me. But that's exactly what this is about. Each and every one of us has great value to him in the the ministry of Jesus because there are some people we can reach that no one else can. There are some people we know that other people can't reach. Um, And so we need to be ready to be that. And that's a big part of being the jar, is being filled by God to be emptied for others. And if that's the case, then we need to learn how to hear when God is asking us to do something. And that's what that prayer of expectation begins to build into your life.
1: Right, so then let's talk about the second thing. In verse four, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, right? So the next part is stepping out into faith. Mm -hmm. You hear what God's telling you, and now you're willing to step out into faith. Like I said before, this is not the first conversation God has had with Abram. He just didn't show up in Haran and say, Abram, I want you to leave your father, your mother, your country, and take everything and follow me. He probably slowly, you know, said, this is what I want you to do. Maybe he did just show up and say, this is what I want you to do. But either way, he understood and heard what God said. Um, The Bible says in Romans and Hebrews, Paul says that by faith, Abram heard what God wanted him to do. And faith means that you know the one in whom you are placing your faith. So you don't come up to Abram and say, God didn't come up to him and say, okay, on March the 1st, never having a conversation with and say, I want you to give up everything, now follow me, right? They probably had multiple conversations going on. Um, So one of the illustrations that we talked about was how many of you met your husband or wife for the first time when you knocked on the father's door and said, we're getting hitched, let's go.
0: (laughs) Can you imagine?
1: If you'd have done that, I'd have been like, you came by yourself and you can go by yourself (laughs) because I ain't doing that. Right? That's
0: my spice. So
1: we know from verse 1 that God had a relationship, like I said, with Abraham. And um, faith means taking God at his word Yes. and leaving Ur for the promised land. Your Ur, whatever your Ur is, for the promised land. And the greatest adventure you'll ever know begins the moment you say yes yeah. to God's call in your life. Now, one of the things that you mentioned this morning and I think is important is that when people hear the word call, they think that means pack yes. up and go to Africa yeah. somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's but, not what we're talking about necessarily here. One of,
0: one of the things I really struggle with when I read, like I'm, I'm trying to learn how to be a better disciple maker so I can teach everyone else how to be a better disciple maker. But I read a book on discipleship and it talks about selling everything you have and moving to Africa or buying a place <laughs> in uh, in urban America and doing ministry right there. or and here's the thing we, we can talk about being sent from Indiana to Oklahoma but God didn't start out by saying no. hey Michael Carey, we want you to, I want you to go to Oklahoma and plant Oklah- a church
1: actually the location was the very last thing that God did for us during your but during in order journey, for us
0: to be yeah. there we had to take some very small steps with him that were just obedience we're going to raise our family the way God wants us to raise our family we're going to tell our kids about Jesus we're going to get involved in our local gathering. we're going to read the word ourselves and I remember one of the, one of the biggest things we did earlier in our marriage was we just went through the book of Revelation together and just uh, studied it together, just asked questions. I don't know that we ever came to any answers. we just asked a bunch of questions together but just learning how to let God be a part of every facet of our lives eventually put us in a place where he could ask us to do some of those bigger things. But I believe those little things are the important things, not these big things. The, we do these big things so that we can come and tell you to do the little things, <laughs> not so that we can get fame and fortune. I mean, if you look at Abram, when God tells him what the promises are, he does say, I will bless you and I will make you famous. But most of the things that he tells you, he's, that he tells Abram he's gonna do for him are for someone else. I'm gonna let your descendants have this land. You're going to be the father of many nations, which means all of these nations are going to get blessing because of you. You are, um, uh, you are going to uh, bless all the families on the earth. But the way that he blesses him and makes him famous is by giving him opportunities to be emptied for the people that are coming. So when he comes into Canaan, he doesn't come in and go, "Okay, I'm here. Let's get started." <laughs> He comes in, he sets up some tents for a little while, and then he goes on to the next place. And he's he's moving toward the Negev, which is actually the, the desert in Israel. So he's heading through Canaan, heading south. Then there's a famine. He ends up going to Egypt. So sometimes we look at those big things and we think, man, I could never be that. Well, no, not right where we are. But if you do the next thing God asks you to do, If you say the next yes that God asks you to say, then you are going to get to the place where you hear his voice so well. Who knows what he will ask you to do? Mm -hmm. God is not looking for people who are qualified to do what he's asking them to do. He is looking for people to say yes, and he'll do the qualified.
1: Well, I think of Peter walking on the water, you know, at that point. Jesus had not fully told Peter at that point. What he, how he was going to use him and that he was going to be the rock uh-huh. on which his church, the foundation, you know. He wasn't going to share all that with him. But when he, when Peter saw Jesus and he walked across that water, he was fine as long as his eyes were on Jesus. But the moment he took his eyes off, he sunk.
0: Do you think he right? used that in ministry later? Oh, I bet yeah. he told that story
1: sometimes Every in time, ministry I later. Bet. Right. And so faith becomes a big part of that. So we see Abram and we see Sarai here, right? Right, and we see, despite Abram's age and the fact that his wife could not have children, Abram, Abram trusted that God would fulfill His promise to make him into a great nation, yes. to bless him with the land and descendants. For he knew with God, all things are possible. And I love how Paul talks about Abram in in Romans chapter four, verses twenty and twenty-two. It says, "Abram or Abraham." never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abram's faith, God counted him as righteous. And, uh, you know, what else can can we say? He had the faith that he needed to do that. So, and because of that faith, there's also another part of that. You were talking about how um, he had to leave all of his his land and everything behind. So the third thing that we notice about Abram is that he leaves what he knows for what he's promised. Yes. In other words, what's comfortable. So Abram has basically grown up in Ur his whole life, been educated there. Ur was very much a centralized city. It was a huge um What's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh,
0: metropolitan uh, metropolitan kind of area.
1: There were a lot of um, trade trade. And Thank yeah. you. I was trying to think of the word trade. The right trade. There was trading going on there, and so he came from this city and where he knew everybody, and probably was doing very well to a land that was completely foreign. You
0: remember right? it says he brought all of his wealth with him from Haran. So this is a this is a guy who's got going on already, <coughs> and he takes this risk goes out there and
1: I suspect that they got homesick at times you know they were in a place that they they didn't know a lot of people and and it wasn't their country and um, but you know this is where we see him putting aside what's comfortable and doing what God is asking him to do and that once again all this ties in with first listening to God then having faith and through that faith He is actually his actions. He's working those out.
0: Well, and I I would say, leaving leaving what's comfortable. At one point in my life, what was comfortable was starting to drink on Friday morning and finishing about Monday morning, so that I could start again Monday afternoon. Okay, that was comfortable for me because I didn't have to deal with the pain that I was running from. But eventually, God called me. Even before I really knew it was Him, God called me out of that. And when he called me out of that, I had to decide whether I was going to go to, from what was comfortable to what was uncomfortable. Was I going to allow myself to be sober enough to feel the pain that I had been running from and deal with it? That was not easy, and it was not fun. But it was necessary for me to say yes to that and leave that comfort. So when you think of leaving comfort, don't think of leaving your house or leaving your family or anything like that. Think. What is it that right now I am? What part of my life am I keeping from God, because I am so comfortable with the way that I'm doing it that I'm afraid to take the risk to do it His way? Right. Where can I then step out of what is comfortable for me, and step into what He promised? It might be finances. It might be relationship. It might be. Uh, it might be being involved in a gathering. Again, it might be. Um, that you are, uh, you're wondering how to parent, or you're wondering how to be a kid again, or f- for your parents, or how to take care of aging parents. There are all kinds of things in our lives that allow us, that give us, uh, t- that are risky to make decisions about. And we can take it ourselves and do what's comfortable, or we can give to God what He's asking us to give Him, which is just our trust and our faith and our willingness, so that He can teach us a new way believing in the promise that his way is better than ours
1: and because of that then we get to our fourth one which is that obey even if you don't have all the answers
0: yeah
1: right so it's risky you know that it may be what he's asking you to do is risky it may not be but if it is we still know that he what god promises and what his will is is going to come true and so like, like Michael said, Abram risked everything based on the word he received from God. God said, I want you to do this, and Abram and Sarai obeyed. And for many of us today, that probably wouldn't work, right? We'd say, God, if you want me to do this, then uh, okay, but I'm going to put out my fleece like Gideon, <laughs> yes, yes. right? I need some confirmation that that's what you want me to do, right? And there's nothing wrong with doing that. times I think there are some we did that before we decided to say yes to the church planning organization I remember sitting at the church we were at in the front row you and I in tears and just saying Lord if this is where you want us if you want us to leave here and you want us to go somewhere else you're gonna have to really confirm it because we're happy here, we're comfortable and we're comfortable yeah yeah in Haran yeah and we don't want to move and so you know, it was okay for us to ask him for that. But the, it, the point is whether you ask for that or not, right, don't be afraid to take the risk is what I'm saying. If God is really asking you to, if you're listening to him and you have the faith, you know there's a chance it might be risky or it may not be, still obey. And I think about um, that could be, you know, maybe there's a conversation that you need to have a, with a loved one that's risky. You risk the chance of getting hurt, right? And you don't want to do that. Maybe it's changing jobs, and you're like, I feel like God is whispering to me that this is what I'm supposed to do, but how do I know I'm going to have a a decent boss again or a good team again, right? Um, Or it's going to work out. Uh, Maybe it's um, God asking you to speak to someone that is not a believer, and you're scared to death, death. right? But God is whispering to you in that moment while you're talking to them, Tell them something that they need to hear, okay? And so he's just saying, do it, do it. And that faith, that's faith, but it's also obedience. Believing, no matter what you think the possibilities are, that God is faithful and always will be there with you and keep the promises that he, he made.
0: I think um, there has been a lot of teaching in the church that leads us to shame instead of guilt, Um to feeling like there's something wrong with us if we can't follow him, instead of having a sense of I've done something wrong and God can cover that. We think there's something wrong with me and God can't cover that. Um, And Mm -hmm. Jesus died to forgive us of our sins but also to heal us of our sin nature. And the intention that he had was to show us that we need no longer live in shame. Shame doesn't have to be a part of our experience anymore. And sometimes that shame can be just as comfortable as the place you live in or the things that you do or the drinking on Saturday night. I am so comfortable feeling ashamed because it keeps me from having to take any risks because if there's something wrong with me, God couldn't use me. So now when it comes time to tell somebody about Jesus, who am I to tell somebody about Jesus? Look what a wretched person I am. But Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Praise be to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We are free Mm -hmm. to walk in the Spirit and to live in the life of the Spirit instead of trying to follow the law and constantly thinking, there's something wrong with me.
1: Yeah, obedience, Abram's obedience led to a fresh vision
0: from
1: God. He said, "I will give you this land."
0: Yes.
1: And for us, that land is Ardmore, right?
0: Right. right. That's
1: our land. And whether people want to hear about who God is or not, He's still Almighty. He still reigns. He is still Lord, and He still keeps His promises. And God and Abram knew that. So the last one is that Abram built altars of prayer and praise. Yes. So. Even though they were in this, even though he listened to God, he had faith despite the risks and went obeyed, their life still consisted of tents and altars. Yes. Okay? Yes. Now, did you put the picture? You forgot again. <laughs> Pull it up. Pull it up. So we had a picture of an altar from back then that we wanted to put up there to show you guys. Um, I forgot it this morning. I thought he would add it to it this afternoon. But sure. <laughs>
0: just wrap me out completely. <laughs> all right. I'm so big enough to handle it. show hammering.
1: you guys the picture of, a, of an altar. That is not back making then. the
0: podcast, just so you <laughs> know.
1: So, altars back then were used in many religions, but for God's people, altars were more than places of sacrifice. For them, altars were the center of personal and family worship. It symbolized communion and surrender to and with God. And you guys notice in the picture, it was built of like rough stones and earth. Like, you notice that the stones were not smoothed out and perfect, right? right? They weren't bricks. They weren't bricks. They weren't mortared into these perfect shapes and then put together. They were multiple stones that were just picked up from wherever and built into this altar. Now, altar means sacrifice, right? We know that the altar was made most of the time to sacrifice the animals. But in this case, (coughs) Abram was doing it for two reasons. One, for prayer and worship. And two for a reminder of God's promise to him that he was going to give him this land to his descendants and to all the families of the earth. And so it was kind of this visual reminder, right, to him and his family of the promises that he'd made. So the question that I want to ask you is what does it take for you to for you to build your altar? Because these altars are, are made from broken things. Yes. Not from perfectly smooth and <coughs> rounded things. And none of us are perfect none of us are perfect there's a place of altering and a price of altering altars have a price god (coughs) intends that something be altered in us when we come to altars to receive the promise means we make way for transformation yes so god is asking us he's giving us these stones and he's asking us to take those and build something right now an altar there are ways that you can have altars in your life to remember and worship God, to praise Him, and to remind you of His promises. It could be something as simple as a post-it note on your mirror of your bathroom mm-hmm. or in the dashboard of your car. It could be a journal. It could be a little, lot of a little different cross things, in your pocket. something that reminds right. you. You know, as human nature, we are visual and tactile creatures, right? We like to be able to touch things and to see things. Now I'm not saying that you make that altar, you don't worship the altar, right? That's not what you worship. What you worship is God, but it's that reminder of who he is and remind you that God is asking you to build altars in your life, but also from from a practical standpoint, there are altars that you can have that will remind you to give praise to God. I know for me, like I said, I've shared, worship through music is a big deal for me So if if I'm in the car as I'm driving from one patient's house to the next, I'm going to put on air one, and I'm going to... If you see me and I'm driving down 35, Mm -hmm. I'll have one hand on the steering wheel and one hand out like this praising. Because in that moment, I'm reminded through that music of who God is. And and I'm worshiping and I'm praising him, and it's reminding me that I'm constantly (laughs) supposed to be renewing my love for him, And my loyalty to him Um, so building altars helped abram remember that god was at the center of his life regular worship helps us remember what god desires and motivates us to obey him so when we're having a hard time hearing him when we're having a hard time having faith when we're having a hard time obeying right sometimes those things like worship, and when I say worship, I don't mean just music, yes. right? It can, yes. it can be worship through prayer. It can be worship through being still. It can be worship through reading his word or doing a devotion or talking to multiple yeah. gathering people with and believers. gathering with other people. But that worship time is a reminder of renewing your faith with him, and it will give you the strength that you need to obey and, and to I, do those things. I love
0: the concept that the altar was made of broken things. Because God is a God of redemption, yes. He redeems everything. So He doesn't only redeem our souls uh, from uh, uh, the sin that we've committed; He also redeems all of those things that led to where we are today. So I spent time, like I said, on weekends. That's all we did was drink. Now I find everywhere I go, part of my ministry is an addiction ministry, because. God has redeemed that by giving me the ability to talk to people and be able to, to understand the language and get through that and get them, help them to understand what it means to have faith in the middle of that struggle. Um, he takes your broken things and he redeems them and gives you opportunity to use them later. So if you're sitting there thinking, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. You don't know what, I've, um, what has happened in my life. Um, And if you did, you would know I can't be used. I would say it's those very things that God is healing that he most likely will use to help you do ministry. Mm -hmm. You just won't realize it until you're in the middle of it and you're starting to look around and be like, oh, my goodness. He didn't make me go through it. That's not why I went through it. That's how he redeems what I went through, Mm -hmm. is by making it useful for the next person who
1: needs to know who Jesus is. Right. So our big thing today is be willing To say yes to Jesus. If you don't learn anything else today, here's where we tie Jesus in. You have to trust him. If he he keeps his promises in the old covenant, he keeps his promises in the new covenant, he's going to keep his promises with you. Make up your mind to trust him, trust him, trust (laughs) him. If you enjoyed our teaching today, we have great news. On January 7th, the JAR will be adding a second gathering. Starting with the new year, we will offer two times on Sunday. The new one at 10.30 a.m. and our current one at 4 p.m. Come learn how to be a disciple maker as God fills us so that we can empty for others. I am filled.
0: To be empty